Hey, podcast listeners, Mackenzie here. I wanted to personally thank you for listening and being a part of our community. We couldn't do this show without you. As we shape the next series of the Living Centered Podcast, I wanted to invite you specifically to help us out. We want to hear from you. We're currently in the process of curating a series all around exploring the relationships that make up our lives. Together with various experts, clinicians, and on-site alum, we'll explore the nuances, intricacies, and impact of the relationships within which we all exist. From families of origin to friendships, dating, working relationships, and beyond. We hope to host conversations with guests who bring a definitive and unique perspective. This is where you come in. We want to know your pressing relationship questions. You can submit your questions to podcast at experienceonsite.com and you might just hear an answer on our next series. The other thing that I often try to get people to see is it's about the process more than the outcome. So if you're showing up in a healthy way in these relationships, that's what you can control. And so that's really our goal. I think if we're always focused on, well, I did this and I wanted the right result and I didn't get it, then we will frequently be disappointed. And so what I would rather ask is just how did you show up? Are you showing up in this place in a way that you're proud of or you feel like really invites your best self into the relationship? And if so, then recognize that it's going to take some effort. And, and not every person's going to be your person. And that's actually a good thing. That's a good thing because you're unique. And so not everyone's going to be for you and, and you're not for everyone either. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, a show from the humans at Onsite. If you're new to this space and just beginning this journey, we hope these episodes are an encouragement, a resource and an introduction to a new way of being. And if you're well into your journey and perhaps even made a pit stop at Onsite's Living Centered program or one of our other experiences, we hope these episodes are a nudge back towards the depth, connection, and authenticity you found. In this season, we sat down with a dozen of our favorite experts and emotional health sojourners to dig into the topics that are top of mind for all of us. Transition, relationships, trauma, just to name a few part practical resource and part honest storytelling that will have you silently nodding along. Me too. This podcast was curated with you in mind. So with that, let's dive in. Hey friends, I am so excited about today's interview. We just had the most incredible conversation with Jason Van Ruler, and I love that he is an on-site guide. He's a therapist and he is the author of the new book, Getting Past Your Past. And I would say like the overall theme of this conversation is just connection. I would say in this season of my life, I hear it over and over and over again, how disconnected we're all feeling in our relationships. People want more connection in their relationships, want more intimacy. And uh, we just kind of started this conversation with him by saying like, what is connection? And he spoke a lot from his lens of as a couples therapist, he has a lot of experience in attachment. And then he just outlined how do we find safe people and why is community important? Yeah, I love this conversation with Jason. I feel like he is equal parts brilliant and practical. And so I felt like I walked away from this conversation actually really equipped with like, how do I first connect with myself and therefore how do I connect with others? Um, and yeah, it really just opened up a, a wide range of why we need connection and how we can get it in safe ways. So, so excited for this conversation. Yes, you're going to love his dry wit and his expertise. 
Well, Jason, thank you so much for sitting down with Hannah and I. We are excited to jump into this conversation. We know that you are a newer guide to Onsite, and we're so excited. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you heard about Onsite and maybe got in and starting to do programs and facilitating as a guide? Yeah, absolutely. So first, I'm just thrilled to be here. This is this is wonderful. And uh, for me, Onsite has, has really been something uh, that's been in the periphery for a long time. Um, and I guess how I knew them is, is really just doing some training there and making some friends, but also as a therapist, really wanting to pursue what works, what works in therapy. How do people actually change has been a question I've been really, really interested in for a long time. And in my mind, on-site really represents some best practices for how that actually takes place. And so that's what intrigued me. And, and that's what led me there. And then to stay there was really just how do I be surrounded by really what I would consider world-class clinicians that mm. are doing great work with the goal of helping people. Oh, so kind. I love hearing that. I didn't that. even pay you to do uh, yeah, that. Yeah, it wasn't even a plug. You said you maybe did some training here. Did you attend the Experiential Training Institute or Psychodrama? Yeah, I did the Psychodrama. Yep. And so that was with Mary. Um, mm-hmm. And then just kind of hit it off with her uh, and a couple other people in that cohort. And then I know Bob Goff, or good friend of his, and so him and mm-hmm. Miles. And so it just kind of seemed like the worlds kept intersecting. Uh, and yeah. I was like, oh, I think there's something here. There's something to do here. Yeah. Mm. When you're not at onsite, because you're new mm. to it, what does your life look like? Yeah. So I, in South Dakota, I have a practice. Um, and so I see clients in person and do intensives that way. Um, and then also offer some coaching. Uh, but the thing that I really like to do and have been doing a lot more of is doing uh, retreats. And so I do a lot of retreats for couples just to kind of have better connection, better relationship. And so this year and and definitely next year will be more, but it's afforded me opportunities to kind of travel the world and, and get to meet with lots of different couples and help them get closer. Cool. Have you always specialized in like partnership work? Not really. No, um, <laughs> I think I think for me, you know, it's it's kind of funny. Um, I someone once described uh, couples work as as being uh, the work for people who are adrenaline junkies, and, and I always yeah. was like, well, what does that mean? And uh, and then I get into it, and I go, yeah, couples work is kind of challenging because there's two people, and we're trying to mm-hmm. hold on to both at the same time. But I think what really led me into that space was just. We're, we're wounded in relationship and healed in relationship. And so uh, for me to work with an individual, not that that's not useful, but oftentimes we got a lot farther if we had the other person present. And so that mm. really led me to say, how, how do we start to do this from a couple's standpoint instead? Mm. That's so good. You're playing right into my outline of what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, but that that idea of being wounded in community and healed in community, I think is a tenant of what we do at Onsite. But it like when you actually put it into practice, it's really hard. And I think we heal in community. We really focus on that part of it. But it's the wounding part that I think keeps us from showing up in relationships. And yeah, so I would love to hear about how do you hold both of those people at the same time? You were saying like kind of keeping both of those individuals' goals and experiences and autonomy in that while also honoring like what's going on with the we, right? How do you hold the... The me and the we. I'm interested about that. I'm still learning. I have no idea. Yes. So I, have not, I have not figured <laughs> that out yet. Um, great, great. I, I think it is challenging. I think what I'm always reminding myself is at the end of the day, we really all want the same basic things. We, we yeah. want to be seen, loved, and heard, and we want to be connected. 
We all have very different ways of doing that and going about it. But at the end of the day, the two people sitting in front of me mostly want the same thing. It's just figuring out how do we make that accessible for the two of them, if that's possible, or how do we get them to communicate what that is if they're struggling or it's not ultimately a fit. And so I'm always trying to go down to what's kind of like on the deeper level, what is it we're really going for here and what are we missing? So I hear what you're saying, but is there something we're missing? I make up that maybe partners or couples that come to you often may come in some sort of agitated state or crisis or a confliction point. But uh, I also make up that once you kind of get into it, it's usually not about that moment always. Um, I'm sure it's a resulting moment. But um, can you speak a little bit to kind of what gets not just couples, but all people kind of to this point of, mm. I don't know, energy that kind of leads us to like our, like our wounding, what we think something is, but then as we kind of uncover, um, we know it's not just always in the present, but what's tied to in the past. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think uh, if we want to save some time and energy, it's best to address the origin. And so I, I think what we can do short term is we can always address the symptom. I can tell you how to stop fighting about dishes or um, any one of yeah. those practical things. But at the end of the day, that actually doesn't mean that we're seen, loved and heard like that. That's practically speaking a way to solve that problem. But mm-hmm. oftentimes, like you said, it, it really is deeper than that. And so if we can understand the origin of why that even matters, we then have connection. And when we have connection, we have empathy. And in that empathy, we can meet each other. And so for me, uh, just like you said, I meet with couples all the time and I'll kind of hear that it's this, it's this big problem over here. And I'll say, well, yeah, actually what's underneath that? Because it's more of what I'm interested in. And ultimately, I think that's why people come to therapy is they know it's not the thing they think it is. It's something else and they want to get to it. Mm -hmm. That's so good. You've used this word connection a lot. Um, And I think it's something that colloquially we throw around a lot on this podcast and Um, it's in like therapy circles or therapy TikTok or whatever, but like, what is connection and why is it so (laughs) important to who we are as people? Let's just get really basic. Like what is connection? I actually, I love that question. Um, I often struggle with that being on social media because we'll, we'll say things in the therapy world, like doing the work. Um, and, and boy, if you've ever struggled and someone says, you just need to do the work. Um, (laughs) okay, well, whatever that means or, or, Hey, you just need to get connected. I think for me, the connection is really to be in relationship with others yeah. in an authentic way. That That's connection. And we're going to have some degree of connection uh, with different people, right? Not everybody is going to see that innermost layer of who we are. But connection, mm-hmm. just at face value, is showing up authentically in some way in relationship. Mm. Our vision statement is an emotionally well world and how we see that or how we hope to see that come to life is by reconnecting humanity. Mm-hmm. And we kind of say a lot that in order, yeah, in order to connect with others, we've kind of first need to connect with ourselves. But going back to the healing in community, wounding in community and healing in community, at OnSite, we have the giant privilege of having, like you said, some of the world's best therapists and clinicians. We have an amazing like retreat-like setting and bubble. We have all the kind of ingredients for um, creating this safe container. And so I know for me, um, when I went through a program and for so many people, it was it's such an 
empowering and impactful experience because for a lot of people, it's the first time they feel that safe kind of connection yeah. um, and experience community in a healing way. And even people that think like, oh, I have some good relationships to be seen and heard and valued for who you are. It mm-hmm. is uh, so transformative. Um, and I want everyone to experience that. And the reality is we can't all live on campus with our therapists all the time, um, even if we have the opportunity to experience that once. So how do we form safe connections? Is it possible to form safety with people or safe connections and uh, the power to be vulnerable with people outside of that bubble? How do you do that? I think it is a struggle um, is how do we really do that? And especially if we haven't seen it before or we haven't lived that. And so what I love about OnSite is that it gives you the ability to see someone role model how you do that in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And, and it shows like, okay, this is what it would be like to have boundaries. And this is what it'd be like to talk about things and have conversations. And so I think really first step for people is finding either an onsite or a place or a community where they're role modeling healthy connection. Mm, yeah. That's that's the first thing because it's hard to look for something that, that we don't know what it looks like, right? So how do we do that if we haven't seen it? So I think the first step is just kind of identify where can I go find that even if it's temporary to A, see what it looks like and then B, build some confidence up. And then knowing what I know now about how that looks, how do I start to recruit people into my life in mm. a slow and measured way that might be part of that community? and realizing that that's not something that's gonna happen overnight. Hey friends, Mackenzie here. I wanted to quickly interrupt this interview to share a short story with you. A few years ago, I was listening to an onsite alum share their story and something clicked inside of me. I realized that while nothing was wrong in my life, I actually began to wonder if there was more I was missing. What if the overwhelming feeling of anxiety and stress that I had just accepted as my normal didn't have to be a part of my life? What if my relationships didn't drain me and I could actually set the boundaries to create the type of relationships I wanted to exist in? What if I could interrupt the narratives that I had just accepted as fact? Shortly after, I attended OnSite's Living Center program, and I started on my own journey of more. More peace, more clarity, more fun, more wholeness. I want to invite you to explore that more. There's nothing wrong with you. But what if there's more? If you've been considering an on-site program for a while, or if this is the very first time, I invite you to dare to consider the possibility that the more you're seeking is actually something we all deserve. You can explore our offerings at experienceonsite.com or connect with one of our incredible admissions team members at one 800 341-7432. They'd love to have a confidential call with you and connect you to the right resource for you. I love that you mentioned um, the modeling of that. I think so often with our group programs, when I'm talking to strangers who have never been to onsite, they're like, well, why would I pay that much for one seventh of someone's time? Like I want to focus on my stuff. And I like always kind of laugh because I'm like, oh, we don't do group work because we're trying to like be cheap on you. Like we do group work because there's so much needed power and healing Mm -hmm. in the power of group. And while certain people need to focus on certain things, that's why we have intensive. So people can really dive deep with a therapist. But so often people are 
what they need is a mirror of healthy community. And we often say that like our, our group programs are something to practice new behaviors in. So like you said, modeling boundaries, how to be vulnerable, how to invite safety, how to play, how to cry, like all those things. Um, So I love that you said that as like almost role play. And that's such a good encouragement that we can do that outside of that environment too, whether it's find a 12 step program or find a community in your faith-based place or whatever it is. So I love that encouragement that we can find it elsewhere and the slow measured approach to inviting people into that. And I'd really, if you have tips on that, I'd love to go. Yes, Nobody likes that part ever. <laughs> no. Nobody likes yeah, that yeah. part. They're just like, so we can do this tomorrow, right? When Anna talked about the slow measured approach of inviting people in, it made me think about past seasons of my life and one of the biggest learnings that I had at Onsite. Here's a little secret for you. Not everyone has earned the right to speak into your life or to hold your story. In the past, I've had the unhealthy tendency to hop two feet into a relationship without weighing the cost of my vulnerability. I overshared with people who couldn't hold it. I wondered how we could assess and really find those safe people in our life. I asked Jason to help us explore how to find our people and to help us weigh the balance between caution and isolation. Here's what he had to say. And so I think the first thing is, what does that even look like? So have I had a safe person in my life already? So when I hear that, is there a person I think of that I would say, you know, uh, okay, they really love me well and they were safe. And I would actually even just want to replicate that relationship Mm. because that's a great starting point. So if you say, yep, it was, you know, my grandmother or sibling or whoever that was good friend, that might even be the first place. Is it often going to be in those early times of our childhood, like in our earliest times? Or would it be like, I could think of someone who was safe last year? Yeah, fantastic question. I think it could be both. I mean, I I think the ideal, uh, I would just love for people to have a childhood full of that. And I also know that that's often not the case. And so if that is the case, fantastic. Uh, If it's someone even more recent, that's fine. And if it's even a pet, Sometimes people just say, like, I I think I had to really be honest with myself. The love that I received that was best was actually from a pet. Even that is kind of like, okay, well, what about that helped me to feel safe? While they were available, Mm. I I could trust them. They were consistent. Like, there's these qualities that then we say, okay, how do I go find that in people around me? And then Mm. how do I make sure that they're available to be that person in my life? Because some people will be very well qualified but not available. And how do I make sure that they're going to speak truth into my life? Because a lot of people have an opinion, but uh, not everyone has an honest opinion. Um, Sometimes we have more agendas than honest opinions. And so um, how do I kind of qualify some of these people uh, to speak into my life and then start to incrementally let them in? As Jason was sharing different things we can be looking for in relationships and the markers that might tell us it's safe to bring someone in, I asked him to get even more specific, recalling on a certain portion of his new book, Getting Past Our Past, where he talks about characteristics of safe people. So yeah, they're good listeners. They do not try to fix you. Okay. They give you space to grow. They validate you, but are also willing to challenge you. And like we were talking about, they're willing to help and have experience to draw from. Mm, that's good. Mm. And, and so really, I mean, I describe that as safe people. And, and I hate to kind of let people in on the secret, but the secret is like, ultimately, that's all what we should have had growing up. And we don't mm. always have that. 
And so uh, there might be some disappointment or some longing with that. But what I'm really trying to describe is is really the hallmark of a, a safe and healthy family. Hmm. And so if we didn't have that, it's going to seem really confusing as to how we do find it. But if we can have some sort of guide and start to recruit people into that, we can we can maybe build the family we didn't have. That's so mm-hmm. good. And I think often if we don't have it, when we do find it, it feels a little bit unfamiliar. I think I've been um, kind of exploring this idea of like joy is sometimes more uncomfortable than the trauma we're used to or the pain that we have existed in. And so if you're seeing someone who's like, oh, this is healthy, their exhibition of what I should have had growing up feels uncomfortable and a little bit like, oh, I don't know that I want to get close to that. I don't know. Have you seen that? I've seen it and felt it. No, (laughs) I've seen it and felt it personally. I I think, I mean, for me, so when I see that uh, at first glance, I was kind of like, well, that seems sort of boring. Like where, where is the drama Mm, and the chaos and, uh, oh, okay, well, that's not part of it. Um, Well, do you, do you guys do that? No, you don't do that. So I think initially it was sort of like, well, this is, this is very stable and uh, not super exciting. And so we have to kind of step past that and just say, yeah. And, and the reason is, is because all the good stuff happens when we're safe and healthy. Like mm. the good stuff doesn't happen when we're reacting. And so it's going to feel initially like the relationship is missing something. And it actually is, but it's missing the thing that held it back. And so I think when we see that, it's normal to feel out of place and I think sometimes we even wrestle with, do I, would I even deserve that? You know, mm. I, I remember um, when I got married and I looked at my wife's family and they just seemingly kind of did everything the way you're supposed to do it. And I was just sort of in this place of like, well, I'm pretty sure that I don't measure up enough to even be part of this. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes we have to work through, um, yep, we actually do deserve that. And, and this is what it could look like if we're willing to take a step into it. Hmm. This um, is, I'm kind of curious. I know it's a topic our audience uh, usually loves. I know you're kind of an expert in it too, but I'm wondering how attachment kind of plays into all of this. And if you could kind of guide us through, like for those who are kind of new into that work, like what is attachment? How does it affect us in our relationships? Um, And then like, how do we find healthy, thriving lives in today, um, knowing what we know about attachment? Yeah. Well, attachment plays, I think, a a really large role. And it's interesting to me because, as you both probably know, I mean, attachment theory has been around a long time. And so it's already kind of gone through a cycle of popularity and is now popular again, although it's been around for a bit. But essentially, attachment styles have a lot to do with our parents and primary caregivers and our relationship with them. And what it is really born out of is our, our way of adapting and dealing with who we have as parents. And so what that means is that if we have parents who can't be counted on or um, are people who are cold to us or not very inviting, we might become avoidant. And so what that means is we we avoid intimate relationships because it feels very scary and like we might be hurt. We can take so so there's different attachment styles. We have anxious, avoidant. You would have uh, secure, which is the one everyone wants. Right. That's every everybody wants to pick (laughs) that one. Um, and then you would have disorganized. And so avoidant is, is really when we shy away from those deep relationships because the closer we get, actually, the more dangerous it feels. Mm-hmm. Um, anxious is where we really lean into relationships almost to a level of neediness because we just need to know we're okay because we forget a lot. 
right? Yeah. So we're like, I don't, I thought I was okay a minute ago, but I forgot. So I really need a lot out of that. That was a really kind way to say that. I loved it. I just wanted <laughs> yeah. to call it out. Like we forgot, we forget. That's just so gentle. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you why. I have anxious attachment. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, of course, I'm going to be way more kind to anxious attachment than any of the other cells. Those other cells That's are terrible. Awesome. But uh, <laughs> that one I'm very gentle with. Uh, and then we have, we, then we have uh, secure, which is if we have that loving, healthy family, we can just be ourselves and show up authentically. Mm-hmm. And then we have disorganized, which often comes from abuse and trauma and chaos and just basically living in a place where it's really hard to have a solid foundation. And so we're always trying to kind of move before the rug gets pulled out from under us. Now, Mm. while these work really well in our childhood, because we're essentially just adapting to our circumstances, it becomes problematic in adulthood because the people change, but our behavior doesn't. Mm. And so if we're not careful, just like we're talking about recruiting safe people, we start to recruit all the same types of people into our adult life that we grew up with. Yeah. Mm. And the reason is, is because it feels comfortable. It feels like what we've known. Uh, But it can be very difficult if we want to break that legacy and and actually change our family. Can Mm. we shift our attachment? Like you said, everybody wants to be secure. Like, sign me up. Is our attachment, like, once we have it, is that kind of like our imprint forever? Or is there a way to kind of step towards security? Yeah, that's actually an add-on I offer. I charge quite a bit extra for it. I can can make you secure. Uh, It takes a couple weeks. Um, Yeah, so the good news is, is there's a lot of hope. And I always tell my clients, you know, I wouldn't do my job if there wasn't because it'd be like the worst job in the world. So um, there is always hope. You can get towards secure attachment. But kind of like we talked about, even with OnSite, is you have to see it done. You have to be in relationship with people who have secure attachment to learn how to do it. Because if we build it ourselves, we will unfortunately just build the thing we came from because we don't know better. Mm, Yeah. That's so good. I would like to be able to do it in a vacuum. What I'm hearing you say is that we have to ask for help and we have to be vulnerable and lean in. I don't want to do that. But I've also heard you just kind of use the line of like, it's not about you getting better. It's about you getting what you never had. And I think, again, that's a gentle way of being kind to yourself in relationships. Of of course, it makes sense. Of course, this is how you're finding yourself in the same pattern because it's how you got connection. And so I just am grateful for the the gentle way that you talk about this because I think this is a topic we can be like, well, I'm anxiously attached and so I'm like super needy or I'm avoidant and I'm just really detached from my partner or from my friends or I don't need anybody. Like we can we can kind of be hard on ourselves. I don't know. I feel like I can. I have been. I'm really afraid of being needy. I don't know. Hannah and I have, yeah. I think, opposite attachment styles. So she's smiling at me. Like, <laughs> I love she's it. She's like, I'm not even in the room. I'm not thinking about this at all. About. I, no, I'm I doing totally great. am. And Mackenzie, I just like, I appreciate your willingness to share that. And also sense the the need for like you wanting it to be okay. Like right here in this conversation. Like, I know I'm needy. You know, that's how it goes. It's like. Yeah, like, it's all right (laughs) that we have these needs. And, you know, I just I appreciate the honesty of like, it's constantly a work in progress. Like, you're such a healthy grounded human. And like, 
even in moments, like it's like we're searching for this. And so mm. I love that. Jason, you are like, I really find you fascinating. You feel like such an expert in a lot of these categories. And I feel like people kind of have this myth about therapists that they like, they are the experts in this and they have it mm-hmm. all together. And I know working with a lot of therapists that they're also a mess and still a work in progress and doing their own work. And so I'm wondering, like, as someone who kind of helps people with connection and in finding healthy people and attachment, like, how do you what are you learning in your own life um, about like healthy relationships or how you find safe people in your life? I think if it, if it seems like I have it all figured out, then I'm doing my job well. That's great. Uh, then I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm putting that polish out just the way I want. But, but the truth is um, I became a therapist because I wanted to figure my own stuff out. Mm. And, and so that was the deal. And as I started to get a foothold and feel better, I wanted to give back because so many people helped me to get to this place. And so I would just say, I think, you know, as therapists, if we really believe in what we're doing, it's an ongoing process for us too. And just as people looking for therapists, like that should be a thing you'd hope from your therapist is that they are doing their own work. I think for me, what I've probably been working on the most or trying to learn about in relationship is just to make space for discomfort and to make Mm -hmm. space for um, things to be unsettled and to make space Mm -hmm. for the unknown Mm -hmm. and and to just show up there and be okay with that. And and so kind of like we're talking about attachment styles, my, my wanting it to be okay, that's gotten a lot better. I've done a lot of work on that. But even in difficult times, sometimes I'm realizing it's okay to just let it be what it is. Mm. And so that's been helpful to me. I, I think, you know, kind of another revelation I've been having about attachment is a lot of times we, we actually go and if we're anxious attachment, we find avoidant attachment. Yeah. And we do that because we do that human thing where we say, if this isn't great, I'll do the opposite. And, and so the challenge is, you know, the opposite of one extreme is another. And, and so I've just been trying to really help people with that makes sense why you might choose that, but we actually need balance. And so how do we meet each other there? That's something I've been really interested with lately. Do you mean like we choose it for ourselves, like we swing the other way or we look for that in a partner? We end up looking for it because we say, okay, if yeah. I know I'm anxiously attached, I need to find someone way different. And, and mm. we do. And it's great. We're like, hey, you're way different. This is so cool. And then we're like, you're way different. This is not cool. <laughs> and, and so we just have to like, what is that middle ground? Because otherwise we're doing that thing where we just swear it off and jump right to the other end of the spectrum. When I feel mm. like they're giving us like their way of showing up in a relationship is actually not going to be life giving for us. If I'm anxiously attached and I'm in relationship with someone who's avoidant, I need reassurance. I forget. And they're like, you are asking for too much reassurance. Yeah, we actually, we, we find, you know, a place to do work, but not to have connection. And there mm. is a difference. Mm. Also, I'm just thinking about like places where I have done that in relationships. And I'm sure it's pretty common that this is work because I'm trying to sort something out here. But at the end of it, is this actually connection once we mm. dig deeper into it, which is kind of something that I feel like probably people just have to grieve of like, how, what are we searching for in this? And I, and I wonder if in work and couples and partners, like if that's a result often of people that are going to, to quote unquote fix something and maybe the fixing does look like an end or maybe the fixing does look like a drastic change because it, it isn't a healthy thing in the long run. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think when we tell ourselves, you know, this whole, if I could just, or if we could just, we, we've already missed it. And, yeah. and so just recognizing that when that language starts to come into our mind about a relationship, we need to be really intentional about sorting out what, what am I actually doing here? What am I actually yeah. trying to, to reconcile or resolve? Or am I, am I, you know, searching for connection? And if so, is this actually a place to do that? Yeah. I imagine there's a lot of grief with that. I was thinking when you were talking about just giving yourself permission to say, like, this is where we're at in relationship and almost an acceptance in that. I can think about different times and different relationships where I feel like I'm trying to make it work or I'm trying to push something that maybe isn't healthy for me, isn't healthy for the other person, um, or maybe there's uh, not a resolve. I think there's a Gottman quote about it's like a really large percentage of arguments are unsolvable. Yeah, 69%, I think, 69%, is what it okay. is. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, way too high, but yes. I just wonder if there's, if you can talk about when we reach those unsolvable things or when we walk into conflict with people, I have a belief, I know in my head, that conflict makes my relationship stronger. Uh, but in my heart, I don't always believe that and lean into it in the way. So what happens when we have unsolvable problems? Well, we have a decision to make. And that decision is if we can, if we can live in that space or not. And so some decisions will be very easy. You know, uh, you know, I, I like some different foods than my wife likes. Uh, that, that's simple. I can, I can live in that space all day long. Where we get into trouble is if it's big things, right? It's value-driven or it's principles or it's things like that. And, and I think what we really need to just kind of come down to is, is knowledge of who we are and what we actually need. Sometimes we, we spend a lot of time fighting about something we, we don't actually find that important. And so we can save ourselves a lot of trouble by saying, you know, actually, like that, that isn't one of the most meaningful things to me. Um, and so you, you can have that. I can accept that. Uh, while <laughs> other times it really is. And so I, I think, you know, they say choose your battles and all that kind of cliche stuff. But, but the reality is we need to because we can't be at war all the time because there isn't, there isn't really intimacy or connection in, in those moments. And so I think we have to be very careful about engaging in those and when we do, understand what that's about and make sure that what it's about is actually healthy and honoring the person we want to be in the relationship we want to be in. Mm-hmm. What I hear you saying is that we have a choice to make, like, what are non-negotiables, right? Like, what is pushing up against my values? What's pushing up against my principles? What's pushing up against me feeling congruent with myself and, and in this relationship and building that? And then also some dying to self or giving up of like, hey, this isn't actually a hill I want to die on, but navigating those two. And I think we talked about like feeling worthy too. I think worthy comes into that as well. Am I worthy enough to ask for what I need in this relationship or to say this is violating of my values? So I, I'm not going to be in it, you know? Yeah. Can I tell the truth? And, yeah. and the thing, um, and this will be unpopular because it's unpopular with me, is, you know, sometimes things aren't going to go our way. And sometimes yeah. there'll be grief about that. And sometimes we'll have longing and desires that won't be met by a relationship. And so I think there's also room for, is this one of those times? Is this one of those times where what's actually needed is for me to kind of grieve something that mm. um, is not going to happen, but I still want this relationship? Can I make that decision? And that's a hard decision to make. Yeah. I feel like it can take intention, but can be easier to understand your non-negotiables, but then to really understand that other people are allowed to have them too. 
and they're not wrong for having them. They're not an asshole for, for having them. Like, yeah, we have to recognize people's humanity that they are allowed to take up that space as well. Yeah. It's just, and they aren't responsible for how we interact with it. You know, we are responsible. For Come on, Hannah. What, that's terrible. What we will feel. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Come on, yes, Hannah. It is I don't like that, but uh, <laughs> I know. You're, you're right. I, I think, you know, for me, uh, what really changed so many things in my life was I started to facilitate uh, an Alzheimer's and dementia care support group for couples. And boy, Woo! there is grief there. Um, and there is acceptance and there is focus on what really matters. And so I think having seen that quite a bit, uh, it's put things into perspective for me that, that certainly we will all have non-negotiables and we are all our own person. And life has a funny way of coming in as well. And so what do we do with that? And I, and I think sometimes that is most, most seen in those places where we're deeply wounded and struggling. Hmm. That's so beautiful. I imagine that would be a really big perspective shifter for sure. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, every time I leave, I'm, I'm just mush, right? So I just go out to my car and I'm like, I'm just going to cry here for a little bit. Um, but, you know, the thing is, is that every time I leave, there's the perspective of what really matters. And so what I'm always trying to help my couples get to is what really matters and how do we honor it? And with the rest, let it be the rest. Um, because at the end of the day, it can't, we can't do this with everything. We, we have to have a few things. Um, and so how do we focus on what really matters? Cause, cause that's, that's how we enter into relationship. Those, that's where connection lies. Yeah. Mm. I like the picture of you processing after that group and just crying in your car. I feel like what's the other, I can't imagine another way to do that. But I, I feel like encouraged even for you the whole concept of seeing things modeled, like how you can take away from being in that shared space too, to see people get to the point of what really matters and how that's just a good lesson for us to learn in the process of that community to take into our own communities, even though it may not look like Alzheimer's and dementia, but how can we approach our people with like what actually matters to us and to them? Yeah, absolutely. And, and everyone learns differently. So for me, seeing it is always life-changing. Um, and that, and that is, you know, obviously why with onsite and, and the way they do things like that, that has been so beneficial to me in life, life giving. And so I think sometimes we, we just, we don't seek out enough role models. And so mm. if we don't have those, we just don't know. And, and I get that. Um, but I think sometimes we really need that because we miss things otherwise, you know, um, there have, there have been groups where I've gone into that group and I've been kind of fighting with my wife because I'm like, why well, I, I want to go on vacation here. And she's like, well, I want to go on vacation there. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and I go to this group and then they're like, um, you know, we can't, we can't actually leave the house. Like it's not safe for us to leave the house because my spouse is so sick and struggling. And boy, just instantly I go, okay, yep. So what matters again, Jason, what, what is it that's important? And it changes things. And I think we all need some version of that in our lives. Yeah. Mm. What would be your encouragement to people? Um, I know like if I get a thousand compliments and one really rude remark that often sticks with me. And I think sometimes the same with community. I hope that the power of like safe community always overrides the, the hurt that we receive in community as well. But what would you say to someone that is like trying to cultivate safe community? Maybe they've seen it modeled. Maybe they've been to onsite or experienced it somewhere else. And now it's trying to take that into their real life, but is also feeling defeated by the 
feeling of hurt in community or a painful relationship that they're navigating, what would be kind of your encouragement to someone to keep going and, and trust that safety is out there and it can be built? Yeah, I, I think you're worth it. So even if you weren't given it, it doesn't mean you shouldn't have it. And mm. then I think the other thing that I often try to get people to see is uh, it's about the process more than the outcome. So if you're showing up in a healthy way in these relationships, that that's that's what you can control. And so that's really our goal. I think if we're always focused on, well, I did this and I wanted the right result and I didn't get it, then we will frequently be disappointed. And so yeah. what I would rather ask is just how did you show up? Are you are you showing up in this place in a way that you're proud of or you feel like really invites your best self into the relationship? And if so, then recognize that it's going to take some effort. And, and not every person's going to be your person. And that's actually a good thing. That's a good thing yeah. uh, because you're unique. And, and so uh, not everyone's going to be for you and, and you're not for everyone either. I think that recognizing and being proud of yourself is like a real marker of growth and hard and vulnerable to do. I know when I started like noticing growth, my therapist would like make me call out like, well, how, like, how are you seeing this? Like, what's, what, where are you seeing this in real life? And it's like very vulnerable, but now it's like such a beautiful practice. Like I love to call out like, oh, I would have responded so differently a couple years ago, or, oh, I'm really proud of how I showed up in that like fight I had, like, or whatever it is. And so I think, I like, I want people to be encouraged to like practice being proud of yourself because it doesn't come naturally all the time. And it is mm-hmm. something we have to get comfortable with because it can be vulnerable because maybe we haven't had that and we haven't been conditioned to be proud of ourselves or maybe someone else wasn't proud of us when we were growing up. And so getting comfortable with like taking pride in your growth and taking pride of how you show up in the world. Yeah, you have to have it. Otherwise, what's the point? And and so mm-hmm. I think... Sometimes I'll talk to people and they'll say, well, I can't be proud. Nothing's changed. And, and so the question I'll ask is, um, is there something you look back on and you're embarrassed of? And always we're like, yeah, there's totally 10 things I'm embarrassed of. Uh, well, that's actually a sign that you've changed. Mm-hmm. Because if you hadn't changed, you wouldn't be embarrassed. That's and so, so if we weren't embarrassed, could we be proud? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I guess I could. I'd rather be embarrassed, but I could be proud because I no longer think or behave that way. Okay, well, let's lean into that. So so we all have those moments. We just usually call them something else, but they're still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Well, as we round out this interview, we often ask, what is a practice that keeps you centered? But in the vein of relationships. I'd love to hear what is a practice in your relationships? It could be in your partnership. It could be in your friendship. It could be in your role as a parent or a therapist, whatever. What is a practice that keeps you centered in your relationships? Yep. Uh, So we do a weekly check-in. My Mm. wife and I do this uh, and I do this with my kids too, but we just talk about the stuff that we actually need to talk about. And so that has been a game changer for us because um, we just we know we're going to have a conversation, so we don't we don't avoid it because we'd avoid it otherwise. We're, we're good yeah. Midwestern people, and so we don't talk about stuff. And so <laughs> we just know, like, okay, this is coming, and we have to do it. And we've attached it to a fun activity, so we're like, are we going to kind of have a date? But this is the thing we have to do first. So we've kind of made it, like, incentivized to do this. And then we just get honest. And so I think for me knowing I need to do that and and be connected uh, and also hear feedback has just been so important for me. Mm. Um, and I do this with my kids too. Um, and it's not about performance. It's just about where we're at and how we're showing up. Mm. Do you have like a formula or questions you guys always ask? Or is it just like, hey, this is a space and we're holding space to talk about the things we need to talk about? What's the way to do that? Yeah, it usually starts out with how dare you why would you? No, I'm just kidding you. No, no, not at all. Um, you did yeah, we, this. <laughs> you did. 
It's accusations mostly. Um, no, what we typically do is we walk through things that are important to us. So, so for us, that would be in a given week, we're talking about our faith, our family, our finances, our relationship, our parenting, kind of, kind of the big pillars in our life yeah. that we want to measure and, and how are we doing there and what do we need and how do we work together to make it better? And so uh, those change occasionally because sometimes we'll have a project we're working on or, you know, with the book coming out, we're talking about that. And so so that does shift. But it's really what is the most important things in your life right now? And what's fascinating is a lot of couples I talk to about this are like, we don't even know. And I like that's a great place to start. If we don't know, that's an awesome place to start. That's so practical. I'm taking notes over here to put into my relationship. Totally. You should try it. It's great. Yeah. The time flew by as we talked to Jason, and I realized we hadn't talked much about his new book, Getting Past Your Past, How Facing Your Broken Places Leads to True Connection. So I asked him to give us an overview and tell us why he wrote this book in this season. Well, I've had a fantastic time, and this has gone. I, I saw the time, and I was like, oh, man, this has gone really, really quick. So thank you so much uh, for the brilliant questions uh, and just kindness in having me. I think what I would just say about the book is I wrote the book I wish I had when mm. I was 20 uh, mm. because it sure would have saved me some time and trouble. And I think, you know, I think no matter who we are, uh, regardless of our story, maybe it's an extreme story or, or maybe it's a great story, we all have these things that kind of hold us back. All of us can think of it. Even as I say it, you maybe think of, yeah, there is that one thing. And so the question for me was really, what if we did something different with that that actually helped us to be the person we want to be? And that's why I wrote the book. So my hope is the book is a springboard for people into the life they want to have and that we can lighten our load a little bit um, and get really authentic and vulnerable about who we are and what we need. And then, you know, the, the secret of the book is we do that in community. So how do we do that in a healthy way? That's so good. And the title is so good, Get Past Your Past. Like, it's just yeah, so pithy. It. it just grabs you. Yeah. So, well, awesome. Thank you for putting this book out into the world. I know that it's going to help a lot of people connect with themselves, um, connect with others. And we feel like that's the way that we uh, we change the world, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I just, I appreciate you reading it and, and just being, having me on. Because I think anytime that we can talk about these things that we feel or maybe just our things and learn that they're everyone's things, even that is just strengthening. Thanks for listening to the Living Center podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love for you to consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen. It only takes a few seconds to navigate to the show in your app and select the stars to begin your rating. It helps more people find the show and we really appreciate it. Thanks so much.